This is a podcast from the Queen City Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. My name is Logan, and that, of course, means you are listening to another episode of The Crowncast. I kind of stumbled a little bit there. I've said that so many times in my life. You would think that there's no way I could have stumbled over it, but I did. And unfortunately, I'm not the only one who has stumbled. Charlotte FC has stumbled. They, however, stumbled over a, a block that was a little bit little bit bigger than, than the one I did. And here to stumble over things with me, as ever, is Ewan. Hello, Ewan. Yep, yep. Happy to be stumbling today with you, mate. Happy to be here. <laughs> and happy to uh, have Michael join us for this one. Hello, Michael. What's up? Happy to be here, y'all. Guys, it, it happened. Charlotte FC did not win the League's Cup. I, I, I hate, I'm the, I'm the bad guy. I have to tell everybody in <laughs> case, you know, now that we're, we're what, some odd four or five days on from this, uh, maybe there are people who still don't know. I hope not. I hope if you're a Charlotte FC fan, uh, you know you've processed the sad emotions and, and you, you've moved on and you've come here to talk about why we stumbled over that block because I think we've got some really interesting stuff to talk about today and i am going to line up you in uh because i'm, I'm gonna make him the bad guy uh Ewan, harrison awful i have i have gone i have sent many messages of what is going on with harrison awful to this club they don't seem to listen to me maybe they'll listen to you what happened and how did we end up with a penalty uh well you, one of the last things you said on the last pod was that you were going to try and get me to uh absolutely kind of eviscerate or two foot someone i think you put it and now you <laughs> yep. and that's open this pod laid me up with this one so fair enough um you I, I see what you're doing there um but this i mean yeah this is probably about as close as you'll get to be being quite um you know <laughs> aggressive in criticism of someone because we we spoke about this earlier so many people spoke about it this is two penalty fouls within uh, about five seconds of each other um, we even had the debate of saying which one was it actually given for um, in the end. We were unsure of that. So the incident, we're all kind of familiar. Everyone who watches the game, um, the first one, a handball incident, you can kind of forgive that one a little bit because handballs are always a little bit per chance of body position. And his hand's not in a great area. It's obviously up by the ball when the ball's in the air. But you can forgive that a lot more than the uh, than the second penalty offence, which is what we believe this was given for which is just, you know, charging out recklessly to an opposition player in the box, uh, which leads to a penalty. It's almost similar to one of the first times in MLS when we played Derek Jones at centre-back and uh, he committed a penalty offence where we said, oh, that's a midfield player playing at centre-back, putting in a challenge which, you know, you expect in the clutter of the midfield, but not in defence in areas like that where it can really be harmful. So not really much excuse for an incredibly experienced mid-30s fullback to be putting that challenge in. And it just comes from that, again, what we've mentioned before, that condensed defence where everything is playing a little bit more narrow than we uh, than most teams would do. Fullbacks playing a lot more on the interior to block that area, to try and force it out wide. And then in this instance, ends with him charging out to the winger. And rather than charging out to get within his two yards and getting his uh, stance to defend, he kind of chances that he'll be able to win the ball. And I don't know, maybe a 30-year-old Harrison Offal does win that ball. But in this instance, he doesn't. He comes in full-blooded, and it's a very, very clear penalty. Yeah, it's one of those where I, 
I will I will say I'm more disappointed in Harrison Awful for the the handball. And I think that might be a bit of a I don't want to use like inflammatory opinion, but this is a guy who has repeatedly been quoted by Christian Latanzio as being in this team for his experience and his knowledge and his ability to be a leader on the team. Right. None of those things at how old is he now, Ewan? I've lost it in my brain. 34? 36. I think he's older than that. 36. Yeah, 36. 36. Yeah. <laughs> um, none of those things. I now expect in the modern game, I expect 18-year-olds who are defenders to know that you don't leave your hands up in the box. Right? It doesn't have to be like some big thing. Watch any defending play ever in the modern game now. Every single defender goes in with their arms crossed behind them. And there are times at which you can say, oh, somebody's jumping, somebody's doing some special athletic movement. This really isn't any of those. This is just Harrison Awful reacting, but reacting with his arms out. And there comes a point where it doesn't matter if Harrison Awful can't react. If that's a shot on target and it is going in without Harrison Awful's interference via his hand, it's still a handball. And I don't know exactly what the, the final, I don't know if we still have double jeopardy, but I mean, there was a point that was a handball, it was a penalty and a red card, right? So in that situation, I would expect the 36-year-old experienced defender, we're not talking about a midfielder who's playing out of position here, defender to keep his arms down. Now, the, the second one, I think he knew he got away with one. I think he was trying to make up for it. I think he thought he could get to a ball, made an error of judgment that was a, a falling dominoes for me. Uh, so I'm not necessarily as upset at the second one, but I do think both are probably worthy of a penalty. Uh, Michael, anything you want to say on, on this, this setup here? Yeah, just to touch on Affle a little bit, uh, I was really not pleased with his performance. Like you say, I mean, he's supposed to be one of our leaders of the squad one of the most experienced players that we can field. And yet I thought throughout most of the match and not just within those single couple of moments, he actually looked like one of the most uncomfortable players on the pitch and like one of the most inexperienced players. And I think those moments sort of define uh, the whole performance of his as a whole. And um, you touch on the arms part uh, to give him a, a little bit of credit for the rest of the match. Uh, you could see how determined he was to hold those arms behind his back every time the ball came near him and he was defending his man one on one. He had those arms held together behind his back, holding hand in hand. They, they were locked and those hands were not being pried apart if anyone tried. So it was it was too little too late. He'd already conceded the penalty. He should know that by now. But I, I just thought it was funny to keep an eye on that for the rest of the 90. Yeah, I, I think it, it really kills us to go, you know, everyone will always say the first goal matters. It's, it's the most important goal, and it is. I mean, there's no denying that. But it really kills us to go up in a knockout format against inner Miami, against the goat of football uh, and Sergio Busquets, who's no 
you know, no joke himself and, and go down inside of 11 minutes. I realize it seems like everyone who plays them goes down inside of 11 minutes. Maybe the reason for that is it's intimidating to play these guys. And, you know, as, as far as you're concerned, Michael, is there a, a little bit, I don't want to call it an out, but is there something to be said about the first 15, 20 minutes of this game look shaky because they have to get a hold of the moment? Yeah, it, it does feel like too easy of an out to just say, oh, they're they're up against the GOAT and they're up against these really world-class players, so perhaps they're nervous, perhaps they're scared. I know um, those stadiums at the, the DRV Pink Stadium in Miami have been packed. Uh, they've been doing a really good job of putting out um, a really great atmosphere, a hard one to play against. Um I, but for me personally, I don't I don't want to put it on that. I don't think the players you're up against can really serve as any kind of psychological or mental excuse. For me, I'm someone that subscribes to the belief that at the end of the day, it's 11 players versus the the other 11 players on the pitch. And watching the game, I, I didn't get that sense that they were nervous or scared due to who were who. Uh, they were up against. Um, really, it it just felt like, and I hate to say this, but it felt like typical Charlotte. Uh, we sometimes struggle to open games and to get into our game, get into rhythm, to build up from the back and generate uh, successful stretches of play and possession. Uh, and I tweeted this live during the game, but to open up the game, just we could not get out of our half. Probably, I'm probably being too kind there. We couldn't get out of our defensive third. Uh, every time we went back to Kalina, we had no idea what to do with it after just a few passes. It's like we'd already exhausted all options and we would just send it long. And so, and I've seen that before. We have seen that too many times where we run out of ideas and we can't play the game plan that we've been working on for a long time now. So, uh, no, I don't, I don't think it had all that much to do with, with how we played. And even a lot of the guys who you think, um, might be most vulnerable to that pressure, like say Privet, I thought had a really, really outstanding game. Um, yeah, I, so I, I just want to give him credit there. Go ahead. I think, I think Privet's actually a really good shout and I'm glad you did. Cause I forgot to include him in my notes. Um, so I'm glad you called him out because I do I do think he deserves it. Really quick, uh, Ewan, you have you have like 20 seconds. Is this all of the Charlotte FC players were trying to impress Lionel Messi in hopes that he might get one of might get his shirt, or do you think that this is just uh, slow getting into the game as per usual for Charlotte? Uh. Well, I, th- I believe Harrison Offal got his shirt. So if that was what he was trying to do by giving them a, a first goal basically for free, then fair enough, it worked out for him. Um, what you mentioned there with the quick starts for Inter Miami, they always kind of go one nil up within 10, 12 minutes in games. I don't necessarily think that's a coincidence, not from the reason that you say, but I think it's because they're able to make games within the first 50 minutes almost look like they're in the 80th minute because they have fast runners who can play in transition. They lull you into a sense of security with the fact that their original original positioning is fairly deep. But once they get Busquets on the ball, once Messi drops deep, those runners go. They can make transition situations even when they're in settled possession. 
So they're really good at creating that. And for me, that's why they score so often so early. You almost saw that against Philadelphia as well, where they're able to generate space against decent teams, even when they're settled in possession and the other team has a chance to get their out of possession structure together. So for me, that's the main reason why they're so good at the beginning of games. I'm sure there's a bit of nerves with it as well, but that's natural with uh, with a lot of games. But for me, that's the main reason why Inter Miami is so good at the start of games. Yeah, these are professional athletes, but they're not. They're still humans, and it's one of the things that's easy easy to forget. In my my coaching experience and my tennis experience, I have seen and played some very very big players in the world, and nerves are real. Uh, nerves are a very real thing. I do think we showed a bit of nerve. I think we showed a little bit nervy in the first fifteen minutes or so. But ultimately, I think this is a game that kind of splits up into three portions, and unfortunately. The first portion begins to come to an end with them scoring on us again, which, uh, unfortunately, I'm going to have to say at least two more times in this podcast, despite the sour taste it leaves in my mouth. I want to talk about Ashley Westwood. Excuse me. I want to talk about Ashley in this because I I want to throw the question out. This is going to be quasi open, and that is some of the higher positions in the field, attacking eights. Uh, especially free-floating tens, wingers. A a lot of times when they're expected to get back and defend, they're expected to get back and almost just be a body. They're not necessarily expected to get back and position perfectly. They're not expected to get back and be a perfect part of the structure, structure or track runners. A lot of times their job is just get back and make people know there's someone around them. And I think... Part of what I'm seeing with Ashley Westwood transitioning into the six is some of my frustration, I think, comes from him defending like an eight. And it's not that he's not capable. It's not that he doesn't see how the play's developing. I think that there's just years and years and years and years of practice in there that kind of says I'm a bit of a forward player. And not that I'm not willing or I don't have the capacity but that in his mind, he says, oh, I just need to get back to this space. And once he's there, he's kind of happy with it because it's ultimately Ashley Westwood who is following, I believe it's Taylor who gets their second goal, following Taylor in for this. And Taylor kind of leaves him behind into that, that second man slot that we're going to talk a lot about. We struggle. We really, really struggle covering that, that late run onto the penalties uh, spot. We have a lot of goals from there. And for a team that plays so narrow and so compact, that's frustrating. That hurts me because because we're giving up the wings. Why are we also giving up the penalty spot? Uh, I do think it's right to say that the two forwards for Miami make some really good runs to draw people away. Uh, One of them makes a darting run sort of off to the right and off to the left. And that does help open up that space. But somebody has to be there to cover the most dangerous spot on the field. Uh, I'm going to start with you, Michael. How do you feel about Ashley in this? And, you know, do you, do you feel like he is, he is achieving his goals? Do you feel like he's got some, some eight mentality left in him? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's right on. I can definitely see your line of thought there. And I think that's an accurate assessment of things. And I, I just wonder if, Maybe Westwood at that position is one of those things that we can alter based on the opponent that we're playing. 
So maybe in a bigger match like this against Miami where we're the underdogs and we're not expected to uh, have as much as the ball or be in control as, as much of the game as we would normally uh, would have liked to, then we can move him to his more natural position at the eight. And then maybe against uh, weaker opponents where we're a little more confident in being able to play the game that we want to play and we're not as worried about uh, those transition moments, then we can stick him back there at the six. And that gives us the flexibility to add another attacking eight, you know, in front of him. Um, yeah, so, I, and I, I definitely think in that Taylor goal, it, it looked like on the rewatch that uh, Westwood was working hard to track back, but eventually, you know, ultimately he did not get there. And it did look like that was supposed to be his man. Um, although I also think that perhaps one of the center backs could have picked him up. It was really, it's a really frustrating watch that Robert Taylor goal. We have, you know, Westwood tracking back, trying to get back. And then we kind of just have our whole defensive line just standing in a straight, narrow line. No one really reacting. No one really moving. And um, not to kill Harrison Offal too much, but, I mean, he gives Yedlin all the time and space in the world to whip that ball into the box. He's got to be standing three or four yards away from him. When, and when he's just outside the box, you know, get close, get tight, get get arms, arm's length, uh, make him feel you. Uh, so I wasn't happy about that moment. And just uh, one final touch on, on that point is, I think Derek Jones is that guy. I, I think you throw Derek Jones somewhere, anywhere in that lineup, and uh, I think you put his big body in the middle of that box, and he helps track a lot of those uh, second and third runs in the box. I think he would have been the solution to that problem, and I was disappointed that we didn't get to see him. So I like the Derek Jones shout-out. Um, just because, in general, whenever I feel like we have defensive issues in the midfield, I like Derek Jones. Uh, but uh, Ewan, I'm going to go over to you really quick, and I'm going to ask, would you have put Derek Jones in literally any place, including goalkeeper? Because I think this is probably the weakest let-in from Kalina that I have seen. And I've been on record hyping this guy up for a shot-stopping ability. So when I see one that really does feel weak, I, I, I got to ask, is this as weak as it looked to me? Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's obviously not good. I think, uh, if you're kind of explaining it from his perspective, you're almost in that in-between area as a goalkeeper, where do I save this with my foot? Do I save this with, uh, with my hands, but he's positioned low feet in feet in place, ready for the shot to be almost better than it is. So he's almost kind <laughs> of sorted in his mind, like, okay, this is coming across goal. I'm going to save it with my right hand. I'm ready to dive to save it with my hands. But the shot ends up being so bad and so narrow to him that what would usually be quite a simple save with his right foot becomes a save which he's trying to make with his hand. And ultimately, it comes down to slowly. It's a weak hand, and it almost kind of makes its way through it um, to end up in the goal. And uh, just as a big picture thing as well, this is why when we talk about uh, Kalina's shot stopping as, as his uh, big plus as a goalkeeper, it's one of them things where you can get good shot stoppers, you can get shot stoppers who aren't so good, but it's not something like with finishing with a striker that you want to be banking on. You don't want to 
if you're a team that doesn't create a lot of chances, but it's all right because our strike is in good form at the moment and we're winning games 1-0, 2-1, not something you want to bank on. Always want to be analysing the process because the next bad miss, or in this instance, uh, the next error in shot stopping is never too far away. And it's hard to to have that as repeatable. So, yeah, I think as a big picture thing, that's also probably important to point out because we have a lot of conversations about Kalina, don't we? So we, we do end up having a lot of conversations about Kalina going. You said big picture, and I'm going to stay stay on the big picture, Ewan. I, I asked the question, and I, I'm going to, I guess, ask you to, to find me an answer. Who is supposed to be covering the late run onto our penalty spot at Charlotte FC? Uh, uh, Ashley Westwood in this instance. That, that, <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's who should but be he, dealing with this. Uh, Martinez he, makes a great run to draw out the left back. If that run doesn't happen from Martinez, the left back can step up there. If that if that forward in that position is stagnant, that would be their responsibility. But in this instance, it is actually Westwood. In in general, you know, we spend a lot of time analyzing this team. Why do you feel like, despite the fact that we stay so narrow, we have this problem where people are getting late runs on us. Is it a disconnection between the lines? I mean, I know I've been on my 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 soapbox about our lines being disconnected. Is it is it a, a disconnect between players? Is it an, a lack of understanding of where people should be standing? What are you seeing? Uh, I mean, the main reason we have issues with it is because one of our main tenants that we've had basically since the start of this season and since the start of Latanzio coming in is that we're always trying to win the ball high up the field and to win the ball high up the field you have to dedicate a certain amount of numbers to that in terms of players so our midfield even if they're not like right on the centre-backs they're there to be the secondary part of that press they're there ready for the triggers to be made for them to get onto maybe an inverted fullback or a deep laying midfielder like they have to be high up the field to be able to support that problem being when a team goes long and they can immediately get it to a winger because we're playing quite narrow with that switch ball or whether it's directly down the line. The winger has the ball in space. They're running towards the goal. Where are our midfielders? They're ready to try and get a high regain. They're positioned high up the field. So now we're in transition and there's probably, uh, we've got we've got good midfielders. They've got qualities. Are you backing Ashley Westwood in a foot race against a lot of midfielders in the league? Are you backing, I mean, you probably have a better bet on Bronico against a lot of midfielders in the league, but again, he's not exactly the fastest player. Um, Derek Jones, there's someone who can cover a lot of ground, but like we mentioned, he's either playing that hybrid centre-back role or playing that direct six role. So he's not in those moments as often uh, when we play him there. With Westwood in the team, we have played him a little bit higher as a six. We're almost dedicating more to the regain by about 10 or 15 yards which is one of the adjustments we have when he's in the team. So that's the main reason why we have those issues is because we're just dedicating players high up the field to try and create regains because that's how we create a lot of our chances. We don't have great playmaking at this moment. We don't create a lot of chances via you know, in-possession stuff. So we're trying to get high regains and we're dedicating more to that. And as we dedicate more to that, you know, what comes with that mm-hmm. risk is you're going to be uh, having some issues in transition. So that, that's the main reason for it, in my opinion. I personally find it disgusting that Charlotte FC is only allowed to have 10 outfield players on the pitch. I mean, I realize that that that's what everybody else should have, but we should be able to have like, like 12, maybe 13 and maybe <laughs> like two clones of Derek Jones. Yeah, right? no, exactly. But they, count, they count as one. <laughs> and you, you, you mentioned that as well, almost on a similar point, like, and just to kind of tip, uh, tap into some like football nerd stuff. Like I like RC Lons who play in Ligue 1 with Frank Case. And one of the reasons that I like them, one of the big positives you said, what's so good about them? 
sometimes I feel like they have 13 players on the pitch because they're that well uh, coached and their positions they take up. It's like, how have they got someone there who's now passing someone there and they still have three players in the box? How is that happening? And yet their rest defence is still good. Charlotte sometimes is the opposite. It's like, has someone been sent off? Have I missed that? Like, did something <laughs> happen whilst I was kind of not paying attention? Like, we have a lot of those moments where it almost seems like, how is there space there? <laughs> and then how is there also space in the middle? You know what There's I mean? only two people around the ball. Why is there <laughs> no one else on the field? All right, yeah, exactly. I, I promised I was going to make this open. So, Michael, you get a, a chance to chime in here. Thoughts on why we can't seem to cover the middle of the pitch and, and how you feel like it could be addressed? Yeah, I don't think two clones of DJ is enough. Let's just take 10 or 11, and then we'll have no issues whatsoever. I think that's the way to do it. And uh, as a reminder, legally speaking, they still only count as one. Oh, yeah. Yeah, of course. There you go. Um, now, really, though, I think you guys hit all the bases there. So let me uh, let me jump back to you, Michael. And after this, we sort of get into the, the next period of the game. And I'm I'm calling it the period where we belonged uh, between sort of the 40th minute and the 75th minute. We put up a match. Uh, you know, I, I don't know whether it's the guys kicked in gear after the second goal. I don't know whether, you know, Inter-Miami let off the gas a little bit, and then in halftime, we had a really rousing halftime talk. It was, is this Christian Latanzio's great halftime speeches? Or, you know, what do you, what do you, how do you see this point of the game? Yeah, so I, I do think it starts, it all starts with the substitutions that he made. Uh, in particular, you know, Ajiman. Uh, coming on up top and dropping Carroll into the midfield. And not not to toot my own horn too much, but I, I was really hoping to see Patrick from the start of this game. I thought he's looked really good recently, and I think you reward him uh, with another start against Messi and Miami. I think you have to play the hot hand and just keep on kind of riding that high and hope it continues. And you saw as soon as he came on, we just had that different profile up top where he was getting into good spaces and he was making those runs and stretching the back line like we're starting to get used to seeing him do. And he had uh, so many, many good opportunities and he probably should have bagged one. And I know we'll touch on that later and is it allows Carroll to drop into midfield a little bit and get more involved and try to be creative and sort of pull the strings and we saw when he dropped back that he started to get those opportunities he had a couple of long shots that really weren't that far off uh, I was just happy to see him pull them I don't when it gets to a certain point and we have 0.0-something XG, and it's the 50th minute. I don't care if you pull it from 50 yards. Um, it, it really felt like we came out invigorated uh, due to those changes uh, that Latanzio made. I just wish that he would have started out that way from the get-go. And uh, I, I truly do think it probably could have been a different first half had we done that. So so one of the things that I think is probably worth discussing, because Agumong has now been on our lips, 
that, that makes it sound weird. Uh, Patrick's been playing good for a little while now, but there is a, a quote-unquote pecking order, and are, are you willing to go to Carol Schwederski and say, hey, man, you haven't been getting it done. I'm going to put this kid in and up ahead of you. Uh, or are you going to look at this now expensively assembled midfield full of 35-year-olds? Uh, that's not true. Full of 31-year-olds. And say, we now have eight of you to make this midfield work. And even though we just bought four of you, I'm sitting one of you down so that Carol Schroederski can play out of position in the midfield. Can, like, do, does Charlotte FC survive that? Or do we need more kind of out of Carol, do we, and not more failures out of Carol, but do we need more evidence that says, hey, Carol deserves to sit, or somebody else deserves to sit to get Patrick onto this field? That's to you, Michael. Yeah, okay, I'll jump in. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say I, I don't think you can bench Carroll. I don't think he's the guy that makes room for Patrick. I think whether it's in midfield or whether it's at striker, Carroll is still uh, one of the better, if not the best, options in each of those positions, and that's just my view of things. Uh, but it is such a dilemma. I mean, it, it really is quite the complex puzzle and I spent a lot of time thinking about it because you're right. We brought in all of these midfielders. Uh, we've got we've got too many um, guys for only so many spots, and it just gets all the more complicated when when Enzo Capetti returns from injury. Hopefully that soon. Uh, I I have no idea how Latanzio will go about it. I spent a lot of time brainstorming. Uh, I doubt we see a, a shift of formation where we go two up top. I, I just think that's out of the question. With uh, I think Latanzio is going to be sticking to this system. And I, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know who those starters in midfield are going to end up being. All right. Ewan, how do you how do you feel about Patrick Aguimong? Do you feel like he's starting to to be credible enough he deserves a start? And if so... How do you get him in? Um, <clears throat> I I wouldn't start him. I wouldn't have him uh, starting in this team. Um, I, I would still have Svodersky up front um, and kind of arrange the midfielders uh, as you would like them to be arranged. You know, whether you want Derek Jones in there, Westwood, you know, there's a bit of depth there. Uh, so, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go to Ajiman start as a starting striker uh, as yet for standard MLS play. But to contradict myself, if you're going to make the case for him to start in any game, I feel like it's this one when you think about the way we set up. Because the striker that you need when we set up the way we do, with Bender playing on one side, Josviak playing on the left uh, as a right footer, your striker, and playing with the banks quite strict with that mid block and everything else, your striker ideally in that setup needs to be an outlet. It needs to be someone who is happy to play on the last line, someone who's happy to run the channels someone who's happy to, you know, run things down in space. Because if he's not, then suddenly the field is condensing on itself and you're making things really hard for yourself on the ball. So I wouldn't start him. But if you're going to make a case for him to start any game 
or if you're going to put a game plan together that suits him as a striker more than it does having Svidersky up there, just in terms of their profiles, this would have been it. Yeah, this is this is another one where, you know, like you said, Michael, we you touched on it, but a lot of people have kind of forgotten about Enzo Capetti. And I know a lot of people haven't, but this guy's come in and, and he's made a bit of a name for himself. I am going to push us along here because he does have the missed header chance. I went back when it happened. I was like, oh, man, you can't do that. I went back and I looked at it. It's behind him. Um, it is a well-delivered ball. I think there's probably an argument that he overran it a little bit, uh, which then you could still go back and say, oh, man, you can't do that. But there's also the argument that he gets himself into that space in the first place. So it's one of those that I think looks a little looks a little easier on the eyes the first time you see it through in live. Would I still probably expect him to find some way to put that in the back of the net? Yeah, you in yes or no question here. You get you get one word. Do you expect Patrick Aguimog to put that in the back of the net? No. <laughs> oh, all right, Michael. Yes or no question. Do you expect uh, Patrick Aguimog to put that header in the back of the net? Yes. All right. We're two to one. You and get out now. <laughs> um, it is. It's, it's, a, it's our only big chance. It doesn't go in. And I'm not that I'm not really worried. This this kid has a long way to go in front of him. This is not going to harm his his mentality or his long term. Uh, let's go on because eventually we do. After Ewan, I want to give Ewan credit for this, did some creative number gathering. We do have a vague XG for this game. And that is uh, Inter-Miami put up 2.52 expected goals. And Charlotte FC put up 0.56. Now, 0.53 of that is the header that we've just discussed. But this is not necessarily a 4-0 game. I think it's much closer to a 2-1-2-3 game or a 2-1-3-1 game than it is a 4-0. And I think the scoreline people are going to look at and go, oh, well, Charlotte FC played Messi and Messi destroyed them. I would be much more upset about this scoreline if it was 4-0 in the first half or if it was we came out in the second half and they just got right back up on the horse and started demolishing us. That's not what happened we got to the 86th or whatever minute it is, and we were still in this match. We were getting beaten in this match, to be fair, but we were still in it. At 2-0, anything can happen. And Christian Latanzio does what I wanted Christian Latanzio to do. He goes to his bench. He puts on another attacker. He goes after the game. And really the only scoreline that you can get in football where, where it's worth it to go put on another attacker and really go all, all caution to the wind is 1-0 or 2-0. It was 2-0. We went all caution to the wind. They got a transition on us. It's unfortunately an own, go by, own goal by Adilson Melanda. And then as all the legs are dead and the breath has left Charlotte FC because we've just thrown everything forward and it's only stabbed us in the foot, they get another one. It sucks. It's awful. But I think that the narrative around this game will be Charlotte FC got wiped off the pitch by Inter Miami, and that's just not true. Uh, did they beat us? Yes. Did they beat us soundly? I would argue yes. But I remember watching us play LAFC the first time and getting obliterated. I remember 
staying up super late and trying to record a post react for LAFC and just being livid and just feeling like this team didn't have a future because we played the, that team and got left behind in every department. And we went and we played Inter Miami with the best player in the world and Sergio Busquets. And <laughs> there were solid portions of this game where we looked like we deserved to be there. And so I think that that deserves to get pointed out. Um, I did mention that Milanda looks rough in this game. Some of that's game state. Uh, Michael, I'm going to go to you before I toss this over to you. And do you want to talk about, about Milanda and whether or not, I mean, I think he's got the lowest ever score I've seen for a defender in just the general ratings. Do you feel like the game is rude to Milanda here or he just had a really poor match? A little bit. I think those ratings might be a little rude to him. Honestly, when I was watching it live, uh, he didn't stand out like a sore thumb to me at all. I didn't think he was having a terrible game by any means. Uh, so I'm not entirely sure where that rating is coming from. I, I bet the, the own goal at the end probably does most of it. Probably knocks him down a fair amount on those ratings. And on the own goal... Uh, I, I wasn't upset about it. Like you said, it's a counterattack. Um, we were rushing to get back, and he, he did everything he could. He tried to get in front of the ball. Uh, he got contact on it. He stopped it from getting to his attacker that was on the other side of him. It was just unlucky contact, and it ends up in the back of the net. But if he doesn't stretch for it, because, you know, he went down to the ground, he slid, uh, he was reaching. He did everything he could. If he's not there, uh, if he's too slow, you know, if he's not in the right position, then it makes its way to, uh, I believe it was Campana in the box, and he, he puts it in the back of the net for a tap-in anyways. Um, so I'm not hung up on that mistake. It's It happens. Yeah. You uh, and FOTMOB has him at a 4.5, which is a pretty abysmal how did how did you view young Melanda's performance um well i mean <laughs> as far as far as those fot mob and sofa score ratings i'm probably the person who puts the the least stock into them of of out of you know most people who kind of follow the game um but you know, if if you if you analyzing games like that and you score an own goal, it's gonna grade badly. If you can see if you're part of a defense that concedes four goals it's going to grade badly. I think Melanda in this game, it is interesting though, because you talk about, we, we talk all the time, like, oh, this winger suits this system or this uh, striker suits this system. Don't often talk so much about what centre-backs, uh, what what systems they suit. And we talk about it on ball. We talk, oh, this guy's on the ball, possession team. Um, like that, we talk about that aspect of it. But in terms of the actual defending part, we don't talk about that so much. And the fact that we set up the way we did kind of works against the things that Melanda is good at. Um, so for the fact that we sacrificed a lot of attacking stuff for uh, that mid-block, it does put Melander under the microscope a little bit because he's worse at direct duels. He's not the greatest man-marker. He's not the greatest communicator as a defender. Uh, what is he great at? He's great at covering space and uh, mm -hmm. the, those areas of the game, which you don't get as much of an opportunity to do when we set up the way that we do with the defensive structure. So. Not his greatest game, but again, um, not a performance that in any way in particular you feel like, oh, we lost 4-0 and he was 
particularly awful. I just thought he was part of a unit that had difficulty stopping a Miami team, which gives a lot of people issues. Yeah, I do want to touch on, you said he's not the greatest communicator. And something I've been noticing with him and Jalen on that right side is I don't see a lot of effective passing off. So when someone makes a diagonal run sort of from the center of the pitch, they'll drag Melanda out to that right side. And there are times I want when Jalen is there and present, there are times I want him to pass that player off to uh, to Jalen. And I don't see that communication yet. I don't know whether it's just they haven't played together enough to develop it or whether this is a bit of a blind spot between the two of them. Uh, I, I don't know. But I do feel like I see the two of them ending up kind of standing on each other's heels, marking the same guy a little bit more than I would love. I do think this game is somewhat rude to him. I think he's the one that busts his butt back to try and cover this last-ditch effort forward attack and, and does everything he can. Ends up putting in an own goal, and that's what's going to be remembered for it. Uh, I think at the very end, he's exhausted and dead. And for their fourth goal, he makes a bit of a loose touch, as does Jalen Lindsay. Uh, and I think that that's going to be what will be remembered and I think just like this game, really, I don't feel like it's right to remember it as a 4-0. I don't necessarily think it's right to to lay so much of this on Adilsa Melanda. I don't think it was a good game, but I don't think it was a howler. Uh, yeah. If, if I could just make it just like a quick point on the uh, Lindsay thing. You yeah, talk about do. the communication there. You talk about the passing off. It's also been mentioned that he sometimes looks a little bit apprehensive in between two minds in terms of whether he goes to... Uh, to play further up the field or whether he goes to kind of stay in his position. Um, people have mentioned that as, a, as an issue with his game. I think it just comes from the pressing structure that we have, which means Jalen Lindsay has to press high up in build-up, but stay when, once the ball has progressed through that first phase. And for an inexperienced player trying to figure out those triggers in the moment on the field, like we can talk about it as, as kind of analysing the game, but when you're on the field trying to sort that first phase to second phase stuff, trying to sort those triggers in your head whilst communicating with the centre-back next to you, that stuff can be tough. And I think that is why you see that happen sometimes with Jalen, where it seems like he's between two assignments, so to speak. Yeah. Um, I will say, uh, for those of you who are not aware, Charlotte is about to ramp back up for the NFL. The Carolina Panthers are about to be starting their season. And I went to, just a little fun anecdote here, I went to their preseason game versus the Jets. I promise you, watching the Panthers was not the fun thing. Uh, but I did get in line behind, or I say behind, right behind me in line was Ashley Westwood and Scott Arfield, which this is like the day after the Miami game. And what do you say to those guys, right? Like, <laughs> they know my face. They know me. I, I Like, you shake their hand and go, Sorry, guys, that sucked, right? Like, what do, you, what do you say when somebody goes to play the greatest player of all time and ultimately ends up with a 4-0 scoreline? Like, help me out here. You and if you were in that situation, it, is it, hey, sorry, you got slaughtered? <laughs> yeah, no, I know. I mean, if I'm in that situation, I'm probably going a bit more big picture with it. Like, oh, what a run, you know, quarterfinals. Um, you yep. know, pretty, pretty good stuff. So I think if I had to deal with that situation, I'm probably... You know, with that context of knowing that we did put, we did have a pretty good run in the cup. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm probably trying to maneuver that angle in there rather than be, uh, you know, tough luck, guys. You know, it right. happens. <laughs> Michael, help me with my social failures. Uh, what, what, what do you say? <laughs> uh, 
you know, I'm going to tell him it's just messy. Uh, my niece could have defended better. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Michael, Michael chooses violence. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I love that. Uh, no, it is. It, it, it is what it is. I, I do think it's right. The broadcast talked about extensively that before this game, they they had the whole like Charlotte FC got back into Charlotte at 2 a.m., woke up and the next day, attempted to train, got flooded out of training, went to like a local park, got to train for a half an hour to an hour at some local park, and then immediately had to fly down to Miami. So I do think it is right to mention that, you know, build up matters, preparing matters for a game. And I, I don't know too many times I've heard of a worse, uh, worse experience than that. So it is what it is. Charlotte FC will not win the League's Cup this year. A quarterfinal dropout, which I don't think is a terrible result. I think if you'd have told most people that we were going to make it to the quarterfinals and lose to Lionel Messi and I guess Inter Miami too, uh, they would have said, you know, that's a pretty good that's a pretty good run for this team. We are going to have to turn our attention back to the MLS, and it is not going to be playing Lionel Messi again. Although it was planned for us to play on August twentieth, we will not be playing that game. We are instead going to be looking ahead to LAFC. We're not going to do a look ahead today. Next week on Wednesday, we're going to do a deep dive into LAFC. So if you want to hear uh, how we're going to go and definitely beat LAFC, you're going to want to tune in to hear Ewan tell us all about how we are 100% guaranteed to win that match. Uh, it is on the 26th because of the postponement. No, no, well, I believe this is correct. No, no football this weekend. Ewan? Uh, well, no football for Charlotte. No, not for Charlotte, no. yeah. <laughs> um, lots of football out there if you want to go, if you want to go find some other people to follow. But we are going to go ahead and start to wrap it up my last announcement is that, unfortunately, because of that postponement, the event for the Crowncast, the live event at Guild Brewing, is going to be rescheduled. So if you were hoping to make it out to that one, we love you. Thank you so much for uh, being willing to come out and join us. We hope that you will be able to come out and join us for the reschedule. It's still going to be a ton of fun. Uh, we're still going to do some fun stuff. We're still going to do some giveaways. Unfortunately, it is just not going to be on the 20th because there is no game to uh, do a podcast for. And that is sad. On that sad note, uh, Michael, thank you so much. Thank you. It was nice chatting with y'all. Ewan, thank you as ever. Yep, thank you. Always a pleasure, guys. And if you want to find us online, you can find us on Instagram at the underscore crown underscore cast. You can find us on Twitter at the underscore crown cast. And we're done, baby. If you decided to spend your time with us, thank you so much. We love you. And we will talk to you again next Wednesday. Goodbye. Queen City Podcast Network.com.